uh, really quick, uh, before we get to the message, I uh, felt led to do this. I want to give us as a church a moment here um, to pray for peace in Jerusalem. Uh, I know that we are all aware of all the stuff going on, the escalating conflict going on uh, with Israel and Palestine. And I was back and forth on addressing this or not. I'm going to be honest with you, but but here's why I felt led to do this. I think it's important because I've actually uh, heard from quite a few of you. Uh, about this and have asked me about it and like what uh, you know what does it mean what do we do and as Christians like how do we come in Uh, and here's why because you've seen this like what's happening is people are picking sides and it's getting really political and so it's one of those things like what 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 is our call and all these things and not only that this is the other reason why I want to address this really quick not only those things but here's what happens a lot of you don't know this but this is what actually happens so when there is ever anything that happens in Israel what Christians do is they'll start to tie in the end times and the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. Like that's uh, what they'll do. And so anytime things like this happen, that you're gonna see this get really ramped up. People are gonna talk about it a lot. You're already seeing it out there. Uh, I've seen it a few times. I'm not even on social media and I've seen it. And there's just this intensity uh, that gets around the second coming of Jesus. And so people are like, oh, is that a sign? And hey, is that what we saw right there? Is that what we're reading in the book of Ezekiel? Is that a symbol and all those things? And I'm gonna tell you that here's my answer. I don't know. Neither do you and they don't either. Okay, and I'm not joking about that. I'm being serious. We don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that sometimes we can get carried away with that kind of stuff and miss the fact that right now in this moment, there are innocent people on both sides being senselessly killed. That, that's what is happening. And it's, that is not the desire of our heavenly father. That is not the, his heart for this. And so let me, let me say this uh, and then we'll pray. We are called as Christians and as a church to pray for peace in Jerusalem. And I'm not just saying that. This is our call from the Bible. This is what David said in Psalm 122. Here's what he said. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May, these, uh, may, may there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. And so, so that is what I wanna do. Uh, and that's what I think we're called to do. Uh, we are not called to be political about this. We're not called to read the tea leaves and uh, try to predict the rapture because even Jesus says the son of man does not know. He's gonna come like a thief in the night. So you always gotta be ready. This should do nothing to change the urgency by which we have to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that, because here's what I wanna be about. I wanna just spend my time talking about the truth of Jesus and seeing more and more people come to believe in Jesus and so that we can increase the kingdom of heaven. Does everybody agree with me with that? Yeah, so that's what I wanna spend my time on. And so, so we don't make this about us. I think that's what's easy to do. And then all of a sudden we're talking about all these things. It's like, oh, when's it gonna happen? It's gonna be December 23rd, 2023. That's when we don't know. And so I would rather just spend my time uh, preaching Jesus and talking about the hope because when we pray, here's what I wanna tell you. As we pray for peace, the only way that peace can come is through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we pray for over there, that they come to know and come into the knowledge of the saving uh, relationship, salvific thing that comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we're called to pray for peace. And so let's, let's do that. Uh, so just give a moment, let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray uh, for peace. God, it is, it is crazy what we're seeing. It's, it's, it's a reminder of what we're capable of. And Lord, as we look into these things and ask like, what do we respond? Here's how you told us to respond. We pray for peace. We pray for peace in the Gaza Strip. We pray for peace in Jerusalem. We pray for peace with people who do not know you, knowing that the only way peace can come 
is through the Prince of Peace, Jesus. So we pray for the missionaries there. There are missionaries there right now uh, who are representing you, God. I pray that you give them boldness. I'm sure they are, are, are just as afraid as everybody else to speak up, but God, they are the messengers that you have there. And I pray uh, that you use them and that they are being used uh, to make Jesus known there. I pray for the innocent people there. Oh my gosh, it's just heartbreaking to see that. And uh, that is not your heart. That is not your desire. And, and so I pray over them. We know how the story ends though. Uh, we know uh, what is going to happen. And as we think about that, I pray that this is just a reminder for us that we understand and see the depravity of man, that what we're capable of doing, we are capable of doing some really heinous things. So help us have compassion for people. Help us pray for peace in that place as we start to think through all these other things that we don't lose sight of who you are and what you're about and that we do know the end of the story. There's hope in this. And we just all do pray. I do pray this. I do pray, come Lord Jesus, come. God, bring heaven to earth. Uh, we need you. And we just pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for joining me in that. I just hope that that helps some of you who are wondering what we do about that. That's my response. And I uh, hope that that is biblical and it makes sense to you. All right, let's get moving and uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and let's open them up to the book of Acts 15. Acts 15. Uh, and so here's what we're doing. Uh, if you missed last week, we, we're taking the next couple months and what we're doing is we're just asking one question. We're asking, what does a Jesus church look like? And we're using that as a, a lens by which we look through the very first church that was created uh, when Jesus charged them to be witnesses of him and to make disciples in his name. And then he ascended into heaven. And so last week, we started out by looking at the very first two pillars of the first church in Acts 2 and Acts 4, where we saw that the church is built on community. Uh, and that they are also bold in their belief in Jesus. And that's the first two things. And what we saw is that God used that and through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, with those two things, God grew his church. And he didn't only just grow the church in number, but he grew them in unity uh, and he grew them in devotion to Jesus. Okay, so, so that was last week. Last week was like awesome rainbows and elevator music. You know what I'm saying? Today, we are not where we were last week, everybody, okay? So I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you that because today, we are going to be put right smack dab in the middle of a big old church fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's gonna be great. We're gonna see, we're gonna see like lines drawn, the gloves are coming off. This is the first big brouhaha in the first church of Jesus. And honestly, I'm gonna be honest with you. It makes me feel a little better that the, even the first church wasn't perfect. I'm just saying, I'm like, okay, we're not missing the mark there. Uh, and so let's get into this a little bit. Uh, here's where we're at. This is where we're at in Acts 15. We are now 15 years in from the first church being created. Uh, and by now what's happening is that there are new Christians popping up all over the place, not just in Jerusalem, but in all, all over the place. And, and there are all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different cultures and stuff. And so what happens here is that there are Jewish Christians who feel like they need to clear some things up. Okay, that's where we're at. And so we're gonna just pick this up in verse one in Acts 15, here's what it says. It says, but some men came down from Judea and they were teaching the brothers, hey, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, that's church talk with like, you wanna go? You wanna you want go? I'll go, you wanna go? You want a piece of me? Like, that's what that was. I don't know if that's what Paul said, but I, that's what I, you want some, right? So anyways, and some, see, they wanted some. Some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this 
question, okay? So, so again, what we got going on over the last 15 years, the truth of Jesus has been being spread uh, all over. And here's what it was doing. It was hitting, the gospel of Jesus was hitting these strict Old Testament Jewish people and they were coming to believe in Jesus. And at the same time, it was also hitting these Gentiles and they did not know the Old Testament from Old Yeller. You know what I'm saying? And they believed in Jesus too. And so you're thinking, seems great. How, how, could we, how could we have a problem with that? Now, if you were here in the spring, when we went over the New Te- or Old Testament, you'll know a big problem is coming. A big, a big problem is brewing because there are some major cultural differences between Jewish people and everybody else. That's what we studied a lot about in the spring in the Old Testament. So basically the Jewish life consisted of a standard of living that by its nature created a barrier between them and any other people group. Okay, that's what was going on. And God set that up as we studied that in the Old Testament uh, for a couple of things. So they wouldn't uh, turn to idolatry and they wouldn't worship the idols that other nations were doing. And then it literally uh, helped outside influences stay on the outside. And, And so they followed that with these two big things. They had the moral law, and then they also had the ritual law. Those are the things that Jewish people followed. And so the moral law was basically like the 10 commandments type of stuff, things that pretty much everybody would agree with. Don't murder, don't steal, don't sleep with your you know, neighbor's wife and all that stuff, right? Don't do, and so you would look those up and you can look them up later, but everyone would take those and pretty much agree those are things that we should follow. And then they had the ritual law. And that was the unique way by which God told the Jewish people to become separated out and different from other people groups in the Old Testament. So you had things like circumcision. Uh, you had to wash a certain way based on what you were doing. You had to wash a certain number of times based on what activity you were doing. There were laws on what to wear, what food was clean, what food was not clean, and 600 other things, everybody, literally 600 other things that they had to follow. And so the Gentiles... We're not following any of those things because they, they, weren't, they weren't growing up in that kind of culture. They never had that in their makeup as a people group. And so what this was doing is it was making it difficult for the Jewish Christians who were doing this their whole life. And, and they were just trying to make, they couldn't make sense of it. Are we tracking so far? Makes sense. This is where they're at. And so the argument comes up that the that, that Gentiles weren't really saved until they were becoming fully Jewish. That's what they're saying. You have to, that's what circumcision was pointing to. And so the gauntlet gets thrown. They're like, you, are, you cannot be a Christian unless you are following the Jewish rituals and rules. In other words, uh, here's what they were saying. In order to believe like us, you have to be just like us. In order to believe like us, you have to be just like that. So they say you need to get circumcised to be a Christian. And all of a sudden, just in that moment, the church had two times more women than men. Uh, because the guys were like, you go ahead to the meeting. I'm gonna stay home. You tell me what happened. I ain't going, right? Like, that's not really what happened. It didn't help. I'm just saying it didn't help. I, it probably wasn't attractional. Uh, but anyways, it didn't say that. So I just read into that. Anyways, and so this gets big enough where it goes to Jerusalem. And so what this does is this is like the executive leadership council team meeting, okay? And I know meetings seem boring and you will not hear me say anything different. Meetings, I hate meetings, they're the worst thing in the world. This is actually an interesting one. And so we're gonna look into this. And so here's the meeting agenda. If you're taking notes, go ahead and get those out because here's what they were tackling. And it's one question. What does it take to be saved? What does it take 
to be a Christian. In other words, do you have to put anything in front of faith alone in Jesus to be saved? And, and so here's what's about to happen in this meeting. We're actually gonna hear from three leaders. We're gonna hear from three leaders. We're gonna hear from Peter, and then we're gonna hear from Paul, and then we're gonna hear from James. And, and they're gonna respond in three different ways. I don't have that in the notes, but if you wanna write this down. So first, Peter is gonna answer this question theologically that he's gonna use the doctrine of God and, and the church. And he's gonna say, this is what I see uh, from a theological standpoint. That's the first one. Then Paul is gonna come in and he's gonna answer this and look at it experientially. That he's gonna say, does, does what I saw happen? Is what I saw happen? Does that back up what Peter was saying theologically? Is there evidence out there? And then James is gonna come in and he's gonna answer this practically. So we have theologically, experientially, and then practically. So of all these things, like what do we do? How, what do we do uh, taking these things? Got it? So that's, those are the three ways we're gonna see it. So first one we're gonna see is Peter. And let's read there in verse seven. So it says, so after there had been much debate, Peter stands up and he's the leader of the church. So everybody's like, okay, let's listen to Peter. Here's what he said. He said, brothers, uh, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And so the first thing that he's really saying, he's like, hey, uh, do, do you remember? Because he had a dream and, and he was really struggling with Gentiles coming to Jesus too earlier uh, in Acts. And then God showed him, he's like, no, no, this is for everybody, not just for Jewish people. And so he goes, hey, God kind of told me that this was gonna happen, that non-Jews are gonna believe in Jesus and be changed like it. So he's saying, we shouldn't be surprised uh, about this. Okay, next verse, verse eight, he says, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So he says, now, uh, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Okay, so here's Peter's argument. All right, here it is. One, these Gentiles don't need to follow all the ritualistic stuff to be saved because I, God told me and I saw it with my own eyes. I have seen non-Jewish people get the same Holy Spirit through their belief in Jesus. So that's one. And then he says something that is really bold in front of a, an entire crowd of Jewish Christians. Because then he says, hey, and by the way, we haven't been able to keep up this law. Why should we expect them to come in who didn't even grow up that way to follow it at all? Like we can't even keep up with it because the whole point, what all of those 600 things are pointing to is that we can't get there on our own. We will not be able to do it and we can't save ourselves. It's God who saves us and he did it for all of us, all in what Jesus did for us, okay? And so here's Peter's response to the first question. It's the first belief uh, that we see as we look at a Jesus church. The salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. The salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. That, that it's by faith through the grace of God. That's how salvation works. And he's saying, so it's, it's not faith and circumcision that saves you. It's not belief plus washing your hands a certain amount of times and number of ways. It's only Jesus who can save us. And I love verse 12 because verse 12 is so great because it says, and then the assembly fell silent because I think they got it. 
I do, I think they got it. I think that the simple reality is it's not what you do or who you are, but it's what Jesus did and who he is. And so that's Peter's argument. That's Peter's stance. And so then next coming in is Paul and he brings his buddy Barnabas. And so let's read on. It says, so the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Okay, and so, uh, so Paul and Barnabas come in and they basically say, hey, uh, we are verifying by experience experience what you just heard Peter say. So we are in reality seeing uh, what Peter said. And so I'm sure they were sharing stories, right, of men and women who, who were saved by believing in Jesus, even though they weren't circumcised, even though they weren't living Jewish lives. And I picture, I really do, I picture Paul maybe bringing somebody in, right, where he's like, okay, exhibit A, everybody, here's Sam. He is full of Holy Spirit and full of bacon. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, so what do you do right there? Uh, it's the same Holy Spirit. And they're like, bacon, huh? Like, they're like, he's like, you know, speaking in tongues and all that stuff, who knows, right? And I, and I, and I really do think that, that it started to make sense for them. I really do. Uh, and so, so God isn't saying that you have to become Jewish. And then all the uncircumcised men went, hooray, right? If you're a kid here, you can ask your parents what I mean. So anyways, then James stands up. You should be in kid church anyway. So then James stands up, verse 13. It's, we do wonderful things back there, I'm telling you. <laughs> Greatest. After they finish speaking, and by the way, I don't want to hear from any of you. Well, <laughs> oh, my kid was like, what's our confusion? Nah, they should be back there, I'm just saying, all right. They should know if they're listening anyways. All right, after they finish speaking, <sighs> Jeff, why do I do this? James, this is not in my notes. James replied, <sighs> Brothers, listen to me. Chad's up here next week. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. And so what he's gonna do is he's gonna quote Amos. This is from Amos chapter nine. He says, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. And listen to this, what Amos said hundreds of years ago. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from age of old. And so James verifies what Peter is saying, that it's scriptural. He's like, yeah, man, this is what Amos said. And, and, then, and then what he does is he makes a statement that sums all of this up. And so he's basically saying, okay, okay. So based on the doctrine and theology of Peter and what he gave us, and based on the experiences of Paul and Barnes and bringing in the authority of God's word that we know, here is the decision that we're going to make. Verse 19, he goes, so therefore my judgment is this, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And so what James concludes and what is the second belief that I get from this is this, is that we will remove as many barriers as biblically possible so anybody can turn to Jesus, that we will try our best to remove whatever barriers are, are in the way for people to turn to God. And so I want you to know this, and I can't, uh, I can't speak for other gatherings. I feel like I can hopefully speak for our gathering. Here's our mission. This is our mission. This one's huge for us. 
God is calling us as a church at River Ridge Church in Taze Valley, Hurricane West Virginia, in this community to help disconnected people get connected back to him and also help grow more disciples who are already connected to him. That's our goal. That's our mission, okay? It's that simple. And we want to remove as many barriers as biblically as possible in order for more people to get Jesus and for, for disciples to get more of Jesus. That's what we wanna do. And let me tell you something, that ain't easy to do. That ain't easy to do as a church because trust me, I'm telling you right now, it is way easier to close ranks and, and not get messy. It is. And it's what you tend to see happen over the years at a church. Like this is getting complicated. Let's just kind of circle the wagons. Let's put all these other things in let's, and let's not get that messy. But for the, here's what I wanna say though. But for the sake of someone turning to Jesus, isn't it worth it? I will put forward, yes, it is. It is. And so we shouldn't make it difficult for people who look different than us. Amen, somebody? And we shouldn't make it difficult for people who are not acting the same as us right now. We shouldn't make it difficult for people who are still trying to figure out how God even works right now and how God fits in with sin and what that is and why am I doing this? We shouldn't make it difficult for people who are, who are doing that. We shouldn't make it difficult for people who have different political views than us. We shouldn't make it difficult, come on, for Steelers fans, because you're annoying, okay? And you need way more grace than most people. Thought I'd be a little funny there. We shouldn't make it difficult. We shouldn't, we'll pray for you. And we shouldn't make it, but we shouldn't make it difficult for any of them to turn to God and let them hear about and listen to me, believe in Jesus who is the one who changes, not us, not what we do, it's who he is and what he has done. Somebody say amen to that. We shouldn't make it difficult. We have a message of Jesus and that should be enough. And that's what's primary. Now, here's what I wanna say, because some of you are wondering, it doesn't mean we water down the gospel. It doesn't mean we water down the truth. It doesn't mean that we water down the effects of sin and, and, and any of that, because if we water down the, any of that, if we water down sin, then we will not fully see how God's grace and forgiveness and mercy are. They are huge, unbelievably huge. And so what I wanna put forward to you is again, within that, we will always believe in and we will preach and stay right with the truth of God cover to cover, literally and figure we will do it, okay? That's where we are. Uh, it would be unloving if we didn't do that. But gang, here's what I wanna say as well. If there is a drumbeat that I wanna have as a church of Jesus Christ, it's that as we stay in the truth of God, that we don't wanna make any unnecessary barriers for people to turn to God and believe in Jesus. Everybody agree with me on that? I hope you do, I hope you do. And here's the third one that we're getting as a directive, and it's this, that we will always carry the torch of the gospel and not tradition. That we will always carry the torch of the truth of Jesus and not the torch of traditions that churches can hold and have. So um, here's, here's what can happen with the things we do. And, and by the way, if you don't think that we have traditions, we do. Like we have traditions and we have rituals here. It's just, uh, they're just new, they're new, they're not old ones. So we may not wear robes and we have insider stuff. We have things that we say, this is what we do. This is who we are as a church. And so we have, everybody has them. But here's what I wanna say. If we're not careful, if we're not careful with whatever that thing is, whatever that symbol is or whatever it is, slowly but surely, if we don't have the gospel in front of that symbol or style or whatever it is we do, then that symbol can get elevated to sacred when only Jesus is what matters. You see what I'm saying? saying, if we don't put Jesus in front of it, then all of a sudden that those things that we do become a little, little bit more important and they matter more. And then we get real messed up with them. Like, well, if you're not doing, then all of a sudden we get in that. If you, you can't believe like me, if you're not like me. And, and we just can't be like, for instance, here's a friend, this isn't about our church, but this is a true story. 
When I was in college, my roommate, uh, I was trying to get him to come to church and I invited him to church and he literally said, he goes, I can't come to church with you because I don't have church clothes. How ridiculous is that? That's the dumbest thing. And I told him, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, what do you mean church clothes? Like, and, he, and here's what I, here's what I wanna say. Like, he might've had an argument based on how he grew up in the church that he was in. I'm just saying, he, I don't know. But, but it, and I mean, just think about that for a second. What was keeping him away from going to church with me is that he didn't have a pair of slacks. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So imagine, come with me, I'm being funny here, but Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And he's like, Father, forgive them and give them grace and mercy and a nice collared shirt and cotton dockers. You know what I mean? Like, he would never do that. But that, that's where we can go. And I'm telling you, it's easier than we think. I just don't wanna be like that. I don't wanna be like that. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? So we will always carry the torch of the gospel uh, and, and not the torch of tradition. So, so, so here's what they concluded. Again, just real quick, if you wanna see them again. Uh, the faith alone and Jesus alone is, is what it is for salvation. That, that we will remove as many barriers as humanly possible, biblically possible, not humanly, biblically possible for people to turn to God and believe in Jesus. And that we will always be about the gospel, the truth of Jesus and not our traditions. That's a pretty good list. I don't think that that's complicated. I, I think that that's something we could look at and get behind. And here's my guess. My guess is that when those guys determined this, that they probably thought, you know what, man, this church thing is gonna be a little messier than we thought. And you know what I've concluded in, in my 28 years of being a Christian and my 13 years being a pastor, I agree. I hate that, but it's true. It gets real messy. And so I just wanna ask this question again. What does a Jesus church look like? What does it look like? And, and how do we respond? This is what we get to decide. How do we respond as a church to what the first church did and decided to do with what we just read and saw in Acts 15? And, and, and I think with this one here for us as a church, I just wanna to talk to us a little bit. And, and if you're new or visiting, um, I do want you to know, I'm just talking to the River Ridgers here, the people who say, I am a believer and follower in Jesus and River Ridge Church is my church. And I just wanna to talk to us for a minute. Um, I think we have to see the intentionality of this. Gang, listen, we cannot accomplish those things unless we're really, really intentional about it uh, because it takes intentionality, not just to be about those three things, but to keep everything on Jesus all the time. You hear what I'm saying? I need your help. Like we've got to be doing that and so that we don't wanna be about these hoops that you have to jump through. Do you hear what I'm saying? Am I talking to somebody out there? No, I don't wanna be about those who, some of them are beautiful and some of them are great. And, and like some of those I, I love that we have, but I just wanna keep everything about Jesus and keep everything on Jesus. And, and here's what the tension is though. Here's the, I'm gonna bring this in for us because this is where it is. This is where the rubber meets the road. So this is what we gotta wrestle with. So what do we do then? What do we do with the fact that imperfect people every day accept Jesus in their life and they will wake up tomorrow still imperfect people. And they may not think the way that we think yet because <laughs> they're one day in, right? And they may not be doing everything that we think they should be doing or they're not gonna understand everything that we should think you should understand. You're not meeting all these expectations that we have to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, we wanna do that for some reason. I don't know why, but we wanna do that. So we compare and determine, hey, you're here. You need to be here and you need to get there really darn quick. And I don't know why we do that, gang. What do we do? I'm asking us as a church, we get to decide what do we do? I'll tell you the tendency. 
The tendency is to drift from those three things and close ranks and determine, well, you can't believe like us unless you're just like, actually not like us, like me. Unless you're like me, you can't believe like me. And I just wanna challenge us as a church to not do that. Let's not do that. Because the truth is, this is the truth, for a lot of Christians, there are so many things that are still being worked out in our lives. Amen, somebody? I'm still working out some stuff in my life. And, and for some of us, it takes time. How much, how much room are we gonna give? That's what we gotta ask. It takes time for some of us and it takes work and it takes a literal change in the mind. And let me tell you, some of us are really stubborn. Come on, somebody. Some of us are really stuck in our ways that we grew up with. And, if, and, and, just so for, and so I just wanna say some of us are new and we're still working it out and we're still looking at the basics of faith and we're still trying to figure out this whole thing with Jesus works. And, and we may have our own theology here. We may have uh, thinking differently right there than what we should be right now. And, and so let me just tell you about them. Let me tell you about them. They're not good enough. They miss the mark. But my hope is that God has illuminated your life enough to expose the truth about you as well. You're not good enough either. Never will be. That's why Jesus died for you. So how much room are we willing to give? That's all I'm asking for people to say, no, I want, a, want more Jesus in my life. How much room are we giving? So before we're just quick to condemn or sail them down the river, determine how much grace they need, let me put some things in front of you really quick. And then I got time. Great, wow, I got all kinds of time. All right, that never happens. Uh, statistics say that seven out of 10 Christians are battling and struggling with pornography. They looked at it last night. Some of them did this morning and they love Jesus and they're here and they're wrestling with, they're battling. What do we do with them? Because they're fighting. And sometimes they feel like they're losing and then they're looking to a group of people who should be helping them and instead we're condemning them. Seven out of 10, everybody. And, and so I don't know what to do with that. We got to answer that question. And, and okay, so let's get that one out of the way. Let me put some other things in front of you. If you think, oh, I pass out. Well, how about gossip? How you doing? How about talking about people behind their backs, stealing, greed, lying, all on the table. And I'm just going to tell you, there ain't a Christian that gets out of that unscathed. But don't forget, don't forget. See, it's God who changes. It's God who changes. It's Jesus who changes. It's not us and our traditions and what we do. And you need to be like me in order to believe like me. It's Jesus who changes. And so here's our job. I'm just gonna put this forward to you and you can decide whether you, you want this to be your church or not. Our job is to love and to encourage and to help. And yes, some of us need more help uh, than others. And it may mean a hard conversation. It really may, but in, in about sin and what's in the effects of it. But I'm telling you that better be a loving conversation. Like it better be a relational one. That's what Galatians 6 says. Read it for yourself, that we gently restore if a brother or sister is caught in sin. We don't ignore it, everybody, but we come at it with a loving heart, with a lot of room. Hey, can I talk to you about that? I've seen this in your life. Hey, why are you in that lifestyle? Let's talk about it. Let's get together. Cause I think there's room here for us to talk about how the truth of Jesus can change you. So again, if you uh, wanna research how to help people like that, look up Galatians 6, one to three. I think that'll help you. And, and so here's the best advice I can give to River Ridgers. It's this, before you determine what it takes or how much grace is allowed before we condemn or sail them down the river, I just want you to ask, how much grace do I need, God? Like for real, how much grace do I need? And my hope is that you'll come to the same conclusion that I do when I ask that about myself. I need a whole bunch. And so I'm not gonna be real quick to condemn. I'm gonna walk through and try my best to help those because man, and maybe, maybe we'll just hold back a little bit on the penalizing 
and bring in a little bit of compassion and, and love and graciousness. And yes, the truth, the truth of God's word that we stand solid on. We will never move from the truth of God and we will just try to help people as much as we can. It's their decision. We just gotta say, man, let's, let's help you in the truth. Here's what the truth of God says. And we don't just condemn them because we're trying to be like Jesus' police or something. Peter said it so great. He goes, no, it's God who knows hearts. You think you know their heart? How do you know their heart? God knows hearts. Help them. Speak lovingly with the truth. Restore them gently. And, and, you know, so here's what I want to say. So now I want to talk to other folks here. You know, some of you, I think you're here and you have some questions to think about. And I just want to say you're here. And the question that I want you to think about is this, like, where do you land with the truth of Jesus in your life? and the grace that he offers you to be truly forgiven, like what we just talked about, that it's faith alone and Jesus alone that saves you. It's a journey. It is a pursuit that we have. But man, the first thing I wanna settle with you, get squared with you is, has you, have you really thought about uh, who Jesus is and what he did for you, that he died for you, that there is a sin problem that you have in this life. There is a God who loves you and made you and we cannot get to him without having restoration, a process of restoration. And the only way that happens is through Jesus and what he did for you. And so, so your life, what I wanna tell you can be absolutely turned upside down if you give your life and surrender over to Jesus, that you, that you surrender your life, that you repent from the sin uh, that is entangling you, that entangles all of us. We all had the same starting point and you come to believe in Jesus. And so if you've never considered that, uh, I just wanna give you an opportunity. You can accept, it's a free gift. That God's gift to you is, his, is the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, so that you could be made right for him. But you gotta turn to him. You gotta surrender your life. You gotta repent of the sin that is getting in the way and you can believe in Jesus. And if you're ready to take that step, I'm just gonna do that. You do this right now. So if everybody would bow your heads and close your eyes with me and you just pray this prayer, if that's you, you can say, God, I now see there's something in my life that is missing and it's a relationship with Jesus. I am a sinner and I need a savior and I believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and that's what saves me. And so I pray you change me as a result of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and help me see the truth that you have for me. Make my life new, amen. And so listen, if you pray that prayer, we wanna know, you can grab a connect card there and just check the box I prayed to receive Jesus. I still got a minute here. I got one minute, don't be getting up. And uh, man, come find me or Chad or Blair, talk to us, we'd love to talk to you. And if you're still having questions, we have a next step for you, by the way, it's an awesome step. We have a great book for you uh, if you prayed that prayer. And if you still have questions, we would love, love to have a conversation with you, uh, get you moving on that, step, that next step. Okay, so, so let me pray for all of us now. Let me pray for us as we get done. I'm gonna fill up all this time. Okay, here we go, let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us this morning. Help us see your truth. Help us to see what you're calling us to be. And here's my prayer. I pray that we stop adding to what you've done. Help us stop adding to what you've done. I pray we just get tired of trying to earn your grace and that we just rest in it today and feel your acceptance through Jesus. I pray for us who have been saved that we have a great pursuit towards you, a great pursuit towards your holiness. Yes and amen to that. That we don't want to be living in these sinful things. We wanna be living for you. That's where the full life is. I pray that over every brother and sister in Christ and that we help each other in that as well, that we don't just kill our wounded. And I pray that we help find our part in doing that, that we help everybody come full 
devoted followers of Jesus. And I pray for those who have not yet accepted your truth and grace in your life. Do your work that they can come to see uh, and get into the knowledge of, of who you are and what you've done for them. I pray that we just, however we're helping them, they keep taking steps towards believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. We love you. We need you. And I pray as we come out of there, uh, come out of this place that we go out there with the truth of you on our hearts and our lips. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I pray and hope this has been an encouraging time. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Baptism Sunday. Wear your baptism shirts uh, to support everybody and, and just to show your support.